to Unwise Girls, a Percy Jackson reread podcast. I'm Janie, and I'm your host, and this is your co-host, Jacqueline. I'm Jacqueline, the co-host. Uh, we're going to be rereading the Percy Jackson books. Um, basically all the Rick Riordan, like Demigod, you know, the King Chronicles, the Magnus Chase ones, all the weird ones he has that aren't Percy Jackson, but mainly the Percy Jackson type ones. I actually do not know any of this. That's perfectly fine. Basically, what I've read of this before is that I've read the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Uh, I've read most of the, uh, the Heroes of Olympus story. I've read the Kane Chronicles, but I've never read anything else, Riordan. Okay, I vaguely remember reading a few Percy Jackson books. Wait, what the fuck are we talking? Why are we talking about reading? I, because... Wait, you're right, why are we talking about reading? I... I rem- we watched two episodes of a TV show. Yeah, wait a sec- wait, but I'm confused. It's it's January seventh, and we're recording a podcast about the Lightning Thief. Oh, so- oh, oh. There's a Lightning Thief TV show, and that's what we're talking about. And we had a like psychotic break because of it. I understand now. Yeah, because we recorded our first episode like fucking three years ago today, or whatever. Oh, ew, did we use fucking on call for you again as a theme? Oh God! I hope not. <laughs> I hope the, the 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 like mental break doesn't also extend to me editing in the future. It just happens for like twenty seconds right before you upload it. Oh God! Well, Jade, <laughs> <laughs> we watched. There's a TV show now. There's a TV show. Also, it's like the third anniversary of this podcast. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> happy birthday on Wise Girls. You're Yay. almost old enough to drink cigarettes. <laughs> nah, at three years old, you can definitely, like, you have the physical ability to drink a cigarette, I think. I think so. Should you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, God. This is, this, we, we, viewers, listeners, uh, achievers, we are (laughs) the unwise girls, you know us, unless this is your first time, unless this is your first, this is your first time with us, and we just did a big callback joke to our first episode, in which case, thank you for joining, but I'm sorry. It must have seemed like Um, a really good introduction for the first 20 seconds. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we've finished Magnus Chase book one, and instead of moving on to book two immediately, we're watching the TV show watching the tv show uh we probably will actually get a couple of people jumping in here just to listen to tv show coverage so uh it's probably worth mentioning up front that we're probably gonna be like talking about shit that happens in the other books I don't probably know. i don't know how tightly we want to control like spoiler policy on this i hmm Hadn't thought about it. Uh, let, let, let's see how the spirit moves us but it's very possible that we might say some spoilers it's very possible. And also, we did promise a guest. Uh, the get, we, There was a little bit of a sickness incident, but we will have a guest on for the rest of our episodes, most likely. And I believe that guest has not read the rest of the books. So that might restrain us on the spoiler front. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however... Our, our actual guest we brought were us time traveled from three years ago. That's right, that's right. We could. <laughs> it's like the X-Men 
uh you know how like the x-men came into the future and gene gray read uh iceman's mind and was like oh you're gay (laughs) yeah you know i didn't have any idea what you're talking about but then i remembered you telling me about that exact thing and my reaction then as now being what the fuck yes uh so is there anything i guess i could probably like be like hey younger jacqueline and watch out for like your lower back and hip (laughs) or like jane don't get into gunpla uh my microphone's sitting on top of two gunpla boxes right now it's too late it's too late uh um we've we've done a few this is we haven't done a live action thing in a while we did the movies fucking years ago we did the musical um but I'm excited to get into this TV show. How do we want to approach this? Did you write summaries? I'm just realizing right now I did not write summaries. Did we? We didn't write summaries for our other shit. We just talk about it. We do just talk about it. Part of me is like, it would be funny to just like paste in the summaries that we did for the first couple of chapters of Lightning Thief. But also those are not accurate to this. And the audio quality that we're subjecting you to would be, I think, a crime. Yeah, we we almost like just copy paste this stuff over from then, but it sounds god awful, <laughs> uh, and so we just chose to re-record simply. Uh, I yeah, let's just jump right into it. We watched episodes one and two of the Percy Jackson TV show. We'll come back next. We're we're doing this week by week, two episodes a week. So yep. you, you know, four episodes are already out, but by the time we're done, it'll make sense. This yeah, the first couple of episodes cover I think chapters one to eight of the. Uh of the original book yeah they they cover approximately one-fourth of the book i think mm-hmm. and it's the first the first episode is uh i accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher and the second one is i become supreme lord of the bathroom because they just fucking ripped the the chapter titles from the books frankly they're good enough it's fine i can't wait until we get to the magnus chase tv show and one of the episodes is called i pass out more than jason grace whoever that is and all the people who are watching <laughs> it are really confused yeah, well, by then, it'll be, like, you know, the big mega franchise. Everyone will know Jason Grace. Jason Grace will be, like, everyone's favorite uh, fa- favorite character. He's in all the gift sets. He's in all the fan art. Um, you know, he- he'll be on mugs in Barnes & Noble. <laughs> uh, do you think Rick is, like, watching the current collapse of, like, Star Wars in the MCU and maybe kind of salivating a bit? Just like I, I, I can get my little tozy wozy in there. I, if I get in right now with the Disney Plus show, this might be the thing they pivot to. Yeah, I frankly, yes, I think so. <laughs> the, I, I, I was watching this and thinking this could be the next big franchise, and I think that speaks to maybe some things with it that I didn't like as much. Yeah, but we'll get there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Uh. Are we doing this chronological style or just talking shit? I don't know. Let's let's go. Let's go chronologically, unless a train of thought leads us elsewhere. Because as as these first few episodes tell us, it's okay that your mind wanders sometimes. That's right. Uh, so we start with the classic opening monologue. I didn't want to be a half blood. You know, the, <laughs> I, I started singing it because I always think of the song now. Uh, but you know it. You you know how Percy starts the book. Mm-hmm. I gotta say. My 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 first note was that I didn't really like how the monologue was used, just coming right out of the gate with bitching. Yeah, where I was like, there's some there's something about that, and this might just be like 
me bitching because it's not exactly like my personal memory of it when I was 12 and reading Lightning Thief. Actually, this is just that. But like, there's, there's something about like pulling that book out of a library, cracking it open while you're like on, on your own somewhere, and like reading the, oh, you could be a fucking demigod, by the way, thing. Which has like... A, a weird intimacy by being like a direct address to the reader that I think this lacks as just being like narration. I think that's true. And that, and that kind of undermines the, the whole like point of the monologue being like, ooh, maybe it could be you. I think that's true. Yeah, I, I think that there are a number of things in this uh, show that we're going to talk about where book gets translated to TV, sometimes successfully and in really interesting ways, other times uh, less so. I, I want to talk about Walker Scoble. Yes. He's doing a good job as Percy, I think. He's he's fucking act, acting his eye out. Yeah. He I I buy it. You know what I mean? I yeah. I I'm glad that the casting process for this wasn't like which of these kids looks the most like Percy. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. Every fucking fucker online who was like, "Oh, I'm I'm doing a recolor where he's got black hair and green eyes or whatever can each shit. I, mean, people, I don't people know. People were doing worse recolors of this cast, so they certainly were. They certainly <laughs> fucking were. God, um, I he. We don't even start with him though. We start with like baby second grade Percy. We do. I I don't know who this actor is either. He's also doing a pretty good job. And I, I'll add an asterisk to every time I say that an actor and this is doing a good job. Uh, where I'm like for a kid actor, but I mean that as a like. You know, just like a way to compare them to the adult ones, not necessarily as an insult because they're fucking kids, and I don't they're expect kids. them to act on the level of like adults. Yeah, they're thinking about like Fortnite or whatever. Percy, you know, especially. They, Percy's certainly thinking about Fortnite. <laughs> oh my god, we'll get there. Um, I I I like how this opening bit reframes. You're right that we don't get the direct address to the readers. What we get mm-hmm. instead is sort of a big sort of change in the framing of how this book starts where we are very directly addressing the idea that percy is like seeing these magical things throughout his life and that pushes him away from all the other kids right yeah he's you know seeing griffins and gargoyles and like a big blackjack that is there he's seeing like a big monster that i couldn't really make out because it was just disney cgi uh i think we talk about the one that turns into a garbage truck i think so yeah i think that was the colchis bull oh okay yeah yeah but then Um, percy drew a rhinoceros so who fucking knows who knows um and we get to see the beginnings of his friendship with grover yeah this is an interesting change because it's sort of setting up how he is like why the whys and hows of how it feels to be like like a young like loner bullied kid right mm-hmm. uh and I, I i like that well enough it's it's sort of it's where the show's focus is yeah and i think like the way that grover is introduced is um like obviously like adding mytho magic to like percy and grover's backstory is like that's that's fan service but also just like that the framing of Percy is sitting on his own and then Grover's hand comes into frame slapping down a card from a two-player game, you know? Yes. Where it's just like, it, it's a very neat way of showing like, no, these two have a, a very quick bond. It's fan service and it's like world-building consistency because mm-hmm. Rick Riordan didn't fucking think about Mytho Match before Titan's Curse, you know? Absolutely not. So, but it makes sense that a kid like Nico would also have played it with, like a, a kid like Percy would have played it just like Nico does eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, he he's exactly that kind of nerd. And Grover is Grover is changed in some interesting ways here. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, we don't really ever see like uh, Grover is framed in the beginnings of the Lightning Thief. It's like oh he has like a limp and stuff. Like oh mm-hmm. he walks funny, you know. Oh yeah. Um, and that's why he gets bullied. Like part of why he gets bullied. Yeah. Um, and that's not really in the show so much. No, I kind of found that like in in that aspect and in general, I think the show uh, kind of de-emphasizes a lot of the focus on like disability bullying that was in the book yes and no right they because they also make it more direct they do like a here there's like a heroes of olympus style bullying scene that wouldn't or you know like a i'm saying that sea of monsters had like tyson getting the arsler thrown at him yeah uh, and we get, you know, there's a, there's some, it's Nancy Boba Fett. She's calling Percy special and uh, mm. like, and shit like there that. There is that bit, yeah. Yeah, I, but I do think with characters like Grover, you know, that's sort of how we were framing the entering of the magical world through this lens of like disability and what that means for you. Mm-hmm. And that a little bit of that is lost Again, it's trade-offs because there, there's a bit of stuff with Percy, a bit of stuff with with uh, Mr. Brunner, and it, yeah, again, it's just trade-offs everywhere, basically. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like the broad strokes are very similar to the book, but there's a lot of like small shuffling or rearranging going on. I mean, frankly, I kind of appreciate that because if that makes me feel like this was a written TV show, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think honestly, like some of the weaker elements of stuff that feels like it was ripped straight from the book and maybe not like played around with enough as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Mr. Brunner? Uh Mr. Brunner is like he's cool. I feel like the performance at the minute kinda lacks a certain warmth. The guy is doing like wise mentor pretty well, but it's also like very distant. Yeah, he's doing a great job of being like, I, he's cool professor, um, mm-hmm, definitely, or like professor trying to be your cool friend. He's not really doing the teacher, like the warm teacher thing, which I think is more what uh, Chiron is doing mm-hmm. uh, in in these first books. He is, you know, he's you know nice to Percy. He he you know tells stupid jokes, but. There is a, a he's telling sense the kids of, about like his collection of uh, Greco-Roman shit that he's got lying around at home. I wish he had done that. That would yeah. have been so fun. Um, because that that makes him out to be such a big nerd. Exactly. And this guy's not really a nerd. He's just he's kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. and and also kind of lame, like a teacher is. But <laughs> and also gives out like actual worksheets that look like actual things. That's true. Although part of the assignment he gives them is look at a statue and they write about how it makes you feel. That's that's like peak twelve year old work or homework. Yeah, exactly. I, that's like that's you know there's potentially something interesting in there, but you're absolutely just giving these kids an excuse to blow it off at this age. No, absolutely yes. <laughs> um, and we get a little dys- dyslexia moment with that Percy. Mm-hmm. You know, and all shuffling around. This is like the same special effect type of thing that they did in the Lightning Thief movie, I think. Hmm. And that pretty much everything that ever depicts dyslexia visually does, for that matter. And then we get a scene that's not really from the books. Yeah, we get... This is the flashback to um, uh, Percy and his mom. But, like, it turns out that Percy's mom has brought him to this uh, museum before. 
and this is where we get the the thing of like uh oh actually you're not named percival you you were named after perseus the great hero and i think the big takeaway from this very sweet scene all things told i like that we're building up percy's relationship with his mom a lot at the beginning here mm-hmm. um I, I it did you know I, I like to see just the sort of like emotional tender thing. Uh I think the big takeaway here is that we're upfront establishing a theme that was a little bit that 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 doesn't really get explored in uh the Percy Jackson until like book two, I would say, mm-hmm. and then doesn't get explored more until like Heroes of Olympus times, which yeah. is the the big subversion of like hero and monster, like a hero isn't always the hero and the monster isn't always the monster. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a smart choice to use like Perseus and Medusa to set that up because also like, depending on what version of the myth that you're looking at, Medusa was very much like, you know, had, had some justifiable grievances. Absolutely. I am worried that, um, this is less like establishing this as a thematic thing and more just a case of like, uh, this is a line that Percy will flash back to when Luke's betrayal is revealed. Uh, I think that that could very well happen. They're <laughs> doing a lot of setup there. Uh, and I, but I do think that this is like, okay, let me put my bias cards out, out front. Yeah. I, I, I love the show Black Sails, and so I have an implicit trust for John Steinberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his name is big on this TV show. So I'm, it's, I, I'm going to be saying things like, but I feel like the TV show is going to do something with that a lot. Yeah, this, absolutely when I heard this um, uh, thing from Sally the first time, my first thought was like, this, this sounds like it's ramping up to maybe do like a Black Sailsy thing about how civilization is maybe bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, which you know, the other big name on this, Rick Riordan. Yeah, <laughs> which we we can imagine will gently pull back on those urges. I uh, have to imagine so. Rick Riordan, the the type of guy who writes blog posts that say things like, "Well, it's terrible what's happening uh, with Israel and Palestine, but we need to make sure that there is a secure Israel for the future." Oh God, is uh, that what that said? You just told me that he made a blog post that like addressed it should we talk about this really fast fuck it why not this is like this is like an important thing to note i it's so interesting to me that the way he chooses to phrase it is so yes i am appalled by the hamas attacks on israeli civilians i am appalled by the suffering of palestinian civilians in gaza what a what um national uh government is inflicting that suffering do you think which one i wonder What, what named group uh you know, it would be consistent to name in line with the other group that you named in the previous sentence, Rick. This is some, like, uh, like the service weapon was discharged into this, into the, the, you know, person, into the person who, uh, was ended up dying, like type language. The journalist perished when he was struck in the head by a bullet. Exactly. Yeah. This is some, (laughs) this is, I, this is some like fuck this guy like you know what i mean yeah um this means security and support for israel yes it also means a secure palestine which allowed to get the international aid and recognition it needs to build a viable state and he follows it up of course with like this will never happen because humans are simply too selfish uh which i think you know that really points to the like just core of rick riordan's just like status quo liberal bullshit worldview this this actually i, I was 
thinking a lot recently about how like like status art that endorses the status quo is so often like ascribing to human nature shit that is actually just like you know the system of capitalism and the racism and shit that it needs to like thrive uh doing that basically he's both sizing the full the thing that was the is the point of the he's, article he's both sizing it a bit even when you in your article specifically use the words genocide which he is doing uh yeah. he is he's still both sizing it and that is both frustrating um not surprising uh <laughs> frankly yeah. um it like that this is i I hate to be like, if you read his children's books, you'll understand where he stands on these <laughs> issues, but you will. Yeah, this, this is kind of very in line with like the ideology that you see him like expressing in his books. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, fuck Rick Riordan, I guess, for a little, frankly, a little bit. Uh, yeah. and, and also, the TV show, yay! TV show, let's, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, actually, let me segue that it will like I say uh, that this is completely expected from Rick Riordan. I agree with that. I agree with what I just said. I also do think it has definitely like lowered my estimation of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I am I just jumping back in and saying TV show yay? Eh, yes, a little bit, but I'm also saying eh, TV show. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the, when I say that I I think that. Rick, the the name Rick Riordan also being prominent on this might pull back on some of those more radical themes. This is this this is I, why. Consider considering that like the the Rick the fucking Riordan verse books, especially with the Greek stuff, are almost always pitched as like civilization versus barbarism, and that's just like the shit that Le could say about the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting note here. The because this is probably important. Western mm-hmm. civilization as a concept gets bandied about a lot in these first eight chapters. The heart of mm-hmm. the West, etc. Doesn't actually come up here. No, this was actually something that I thought was really interesting, like the museum scene, uh, is that Chiron doesn't do the thing he does in the book where he kind of draws, or that might have been a bit later, but like there's no moment where a parallel is drawn between like, oh, well, you know, the ancient Greeks used a lot of pillars. And if you look at the Capitol building, there's pillars on it. So it's just like where the the descendants, the spiritual descendants of the ancient Greeks, and I wonder how much of that was like, maybe dialed back because like, I'm sure it has been like repeatedly and loudly pointed out to Rick Riordan uh, since he released that book that that sounds like fascist rhetoric, uh huh, and that like you know it, the decision might have been taken to just like ease off on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean i I haven't read all of his work between. Magnus Chase and uh, I mean, I, also the works concurrent with Magnus Chase. I haven't read the Trials of Apollo stuff at all. Mm. For all I know, he really backs off of it there. He might, you know. He was doubling down on it in Heroes of Olympus, so who fucking knows? Who's to say? Uh, so this could be, you know, a, a sort of thematic interest changing uh, for Riordan. This could be, you know, the various creative voices happening uh, in the writer's room sort of uh deciding that wasn't the direction to go for this show uh and i yeah i i I think it's probably the right move yeah i mean the i i'm inclined to think that this is a deliberate dialing back just because like uh there's a thing we'll get to later uh which was like something that we really took issue with when we were first reading this book that absolutely has been like stripped out because it was insane yeah 
Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. <laughs> but for now, Grover, uh, we, we got to get to the, the Nancy Boba Fett scene. Although before we get to the Nancy Boba Fett scene, I just want to very quickly point out that uh, when Percy and Grover take out their packed lunches, uh, while they are talking without like exchanging any kind of dialogue about it, they like swap some of the like um, some of the ingredients in their sandwiches, which I think is just like a really neat piece of visual storytelling to show that these two are very close. Yeah, yeah, they 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 have a routine of swapping sandwiches. That's that's mm-hmm. you know, good visual storytelling. Exactly what it is. Um, and then Grover says, "If you ever see, if you ever have bullies, the best thing to do is don't stand up to them." Which is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Grover. Thank you, Grover. I understand why he's saying that, but it is very funny. Yes, he's saying that because he doesn't want Percy to, like, accidentally kill someone. <laughs> or to draw attention from a monster, etc., etc. But it does make him seem like the weirdest, like, little nerd shit ever. <laughs> Which I would say he actually, he's a bit more, like, nerd kid. Uh, like, he's a bit like, ugh, huh, my experiments. Then, uh, <laughs> he doesn't say my experiments at any point, but that's sort of, he's like, you know, he does, like, the rapid-fire explanations that are typical of, like, a nerd kid in mm. media. More so than, like, I, I would say Grover in the books was less nerd kid and more just, like... Loser? Loser, that's it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Which, you know... He's, he's he fucking tattles on Percy. He's got the kind of quick fire explanation thing going on. He's he's a little dweeb. Yeah, he's he's dweebing. Um, Nancy Boba Fett is bullying until she's watering. Until and this this is where we come full fucking circle on this podcast. Uh, we come right back to Rick Star Wars fan fiction when Percy uses the Force to dump her in that fountain. <laughs> I swear to God, I do not know how this happened. Was <laughs> am I remembering that in the book there was something like, oh, it seemed like the water reached up and grabbed her? Yeah, or something the, like that? the water like grabs her and then pulls her back into it. But in this, she just goes flying backwards when Percy thrusts his hand out. He is using the Force, <laughs> um, and that's okay. Um, I think it's also exactly how the movie did it. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's fine. It doesn't matter that much because I think actually the scene works super well because it's like th- a three minutes of the most insane thing you've ever seen, uh, which is that happening. Everyone being like, what the fuck? Everything's slowing down and Mrs. Dodds out in the open, transforming into uh, a fury and attacking Percy and dying instantly. <laughs> Uh, can I, can I deliver my first, I think, real hot take of this, of this, uh, analysis so far? Sure. Uh, I think the movie version of this was better. Interesting, go ahead. I think, like, the way that it happens with Mrs. Dodds in uh, the first episode of the show is, like, it's too quick. There's no, like, creeping sense of dread that something is wrong. She's just, like, telepathically talking to Percy, then she's a monster, and then she's fucking dead. Whereas, like, in the book, and I think in the movie, she, like, drags him off to a different room and is, like, not answering his questions, and Percy is, like, increasingly freaked out before the transformation happens, and then it's a bit more of a fight before he kills her. Yeah, um, there's a lot that is... Again, these are two different for runtime, but... Well, these are two different approaches also, Mm -hmm. right? Because they also extend things that the movie truncated, like the, like, uh, Percy coming home and then going to Montauk. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'll, I'll disagree with you. I think this is the better choice. Interesting. Because it happens so quickly, uh, and in such like a dreamlike way, it really, 
if you are not in the know of like what's going on already, you might think, oh, Percy dreamed that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, like I, I understand why Percy and everyone around him is like reacting with like, why do you think that happened? Uh, it's part of the big gaslighting thing, and I think that like works really well. It establishes mm-hmm. the mist in a cool way too. I like how visually everything just sort of whites out. Um, that is sort of a like a meta narrative thing that I enjoy. Uh, and I, 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 that's why I like it. I think it doesn't need to be a big fight scene. That's fair enough. Spe- although, uh, speaking of the thing that is used to kill Mrs. Dodds. Yes. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Riptide? Uh, this is sure a, like a Disney CGI weapon. It's a fucking, I hate how lightsaber the special effect for it is. He's, he holds it with two hands and the light comes up from the hilt and it's, it's a very lightsaber. On the other hand... Uh, I I love that the like the pen form of it is just like a generic ballpoint pen. Yes. Which I think is like that was so obvious that that was such an easy opportunity to like do merchandising, and I'm kind of glad that they held back on that instinct. I want them to still do merchandising, <laughs> uh, but just have it be a normal pen. Exactly. Or it's it's just like I don't know. It it feels more believable as just like a pen that Chiron would have on him. I also think it has a bit of the like. Um, a bit of the thing that um, Peter Capaldi's outfit as the Doctor has in uh, Series Nine, where one of the, he he wears like this really elaborate suit in Series Eight, and then in Series Nine he's mostly running around in like a hoodie, sunglasses, and like pajamas. Uh, and apparently that was something he insisted on as a way to make sure that like poor kids could like cosplay the Doctor. That's awesome. the The idea that you could just like be like a kid and you just like find a fucking ballpoint pen and bam, you have a Riptide. It's just like it's it's a way to make like the most iconic weapon in the series kind of accessible to any kid who's watching it, which I think is neat. Well, this is why you know, and it's part of Rick Riordan his grand scheme to get kids to write things right mm. uh, to express themselves. He uh, he he. It, that's why there is like Chiron being like the you know, this is your greatest weapon you'll need it later wink uh-huh. uh you know it's, it's a cheeky thing and like a teacher a nerd ass teacher would say this to a kid absolutely um and it's required in being like you should carry a pen with you you might need it uh it, it's 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 the sort of thing that made me in a high school carry a pencil behind my ear uh every day of <laughs> every day of my life uh just in case i need to write something down and that i this is sort of the this is that move. Uh, I that's a that's a cool that's a cool Doctor Who anecdote. Also, <laughs> uh, I, Peter Capaldi seems you know like a pretty cool guy. Um, and then Grover fucking uh, Grover betrays Percy. Grover tattles on Percy in the weirdest fucking principal's office I have ever seen. This is the life is strange principal's office. <laughs> this is this is like where you make the choice like who do you blame for this happening, and and the, at the end of episode two or whatever. This is this is that. This is, yeah, it's fucking, it's pitch dark in there. Like, you can barely see anything that's happening. Fucking, the, the principal is sat in the middle, Chiron's off to his left, Percy is sitting in front of a gigantic Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh-huh. Which I don't know why you would have that in your office, where, like, an angry kid is clearly just going to throw a chair at it. Oh, absolutely. It also just has Rick Ryden sitting in the corner silently. Was that Rick Riordan? That's what? Rick Riordan off to the guy's left. He he doesn't say anything in the fucking scene. I, 
I I saw that there was like a guy there, and I didn't realize that was Rick Riordan in it. <laughs> Why the fuck was he in this scene? I have a cooler cameo. Shout, shout out to uh, uh, Mint for uh, pointing that out to me. <laughs> that's insane. I. Why? I guess that's fine. <laughs> you got to put him somewhere, uh, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. Wow. This is a, a weird principal's office. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there he is. It's required. <laughs> He's just fucking saying that. Oh, my God. What's what's he doing? <laughs> I want this to be like, and this is our, like, secretary. This is like the, the school secretary or whatever, and he's here to take notes. And then he turns the notes into the Percy Jackson book, you know? <laughs> uh, he does this in between transcribing uh, audio logs that are fucking anonymously mailed to him by <laughs> British children. Exactly, yes. Speaking of which, there is a therapist uh, that Grover briefly mentions called Mr. Kane, which I don't know if that's supposed to be a, like, Easter egg or something. I'm fucking sure it is. Probably. Um, but yeah, Grover does, he, he, in the, in the weird, in the weird principal's office, in, uh, he says, yeah, Percy's just like a little fucking crazy kid. Yeah, he's, ah, bah, bah, he's insane. The principal asks, and you saw Percy assault nancy and and grover says yes to that so he's like opening up uh percy to like a fucking criminal conviction over this yes um <laughs> the great stuff here with like the principal you know again uh we're gonna sort of come back to this with a scene at camp half-blood later on setting percy up to make himself pr- like this is you know assumed guilty and then innocent that type yeah, of thing yeah. um uh setting percy you have to be like all you've had to say for yourself is i didn't do it well what do you have to say now and him just saying like i didn't push her yeah that, good stuff um I and this think, is i do uh-huh. think percy's indignance is like i i understand but also he definitely was about to shove nancy into that fountain he certainly was <laughs> and then it happened he anyway did- so i'd he didn't do it but he was absolutely like he had the intention to do it and it's what happened anyway yeah and i think that's good like, I, I like, Percy, frankly, should have been the kid who threw the chair into the Delaware. No, absolutely. Uh, so, what the fuck is that doing in the back? Is that, like, it's meant to be, like, this is Percy crossing the point of no return, I guess? It, it could be. It could just be a statement about, like, this is the, you know, the American institution and how it, you know, acts in mainstream schooling, something like that. Uh, I don't know. I'm Maybe not it's sure. just because Yancey Academy is, like, really fancy in this version. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, then he goes home and we meet Gabe. Gabe is so toned down. Gabe is... First of all, he's Hollywood hot, and that makes me mad. <laughs> he's Hollywood hot, but he has, like, a bit of facial scruff and, like, a gold chain around his neck, which means that he's uh, a gross New York guy. He's not smelly. He's not stinky. He's not... He's an... He's a... Here's how he's characterized here, and I kind of don't like it. He's a jobless loser. Yeah. And that was true of Gabe in the book as well. You know, he sat around playing poker with his buddies all day. People don't really do that anymore. They play poker online, so he's play- so he plays poker online. It's updated for the, for the new millennium. Yeah, yeah. Um, he... He... <sighs> He's an asshole, right? He's a believable asshole, but he's a mm-hmm. different kind of asshole than Book Gabe. And he has like a weird dynamic going on with Percy's mom. This is like 
I, I, this has to end differently to how it does in the book because I don't see the dynamic between these two ending and Sally being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna fucking murder this guy." Gabe was like, "There, there's, I mean, it's not not there, but there is less like hints of like his abusiveness in this, right?" Sally seems um, like way more of a match for him. That's it, right? Sally, um, in Lightning Thief, was intentionally sort of playing herself down, letting Gabe, you know, run all over them because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, you know, the reasons that we end up finding out. And here, they, they're they doing, like, little, like, his girl Friday, like, verbal sparring. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it's, I think what, what's really strange to me is that, like, the the argument they have about like her getting like him a sandwich on the way back from the cabin is like it's centered around the idea that if he doesn't behave she won't get the sandwich and she won't watch the Knicks with him and he hates watching the Knicks alone and it's like it's it's not just that like she's more of a match for him it's like these two have activities they like doing together because she follows that up by saying I also don't like watching the Knicks alone yeah I think what we're getting here is <clears throat> less of like. I am being the, you know, sacrificial woman under this uh, abusive husband mm-hmm. and more like, yeah, I've settled for this kind of shitty guy who I like am okay, who I have found reasons to be okay with living with. Yeah, I, this can't end in a murder, right? She's just going to like dump him. Probably. Yeah, I think so. And honestly, I think that's kind of compelling. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it ground. Obviously, there are abusive parents and step-parents every single day in this world constantly. Yes. Um, but I, I do feel like this is a sort of um, just very a, a different but still genuine type of uh, relationship being depicted. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that. I think, like, I think it, it worries me because I think one of the, as much as it does kind of play into this kind of trope of, like, Sally being, like, the sacrificial woman... I think one of the things I like about the end of Lightning Thief is the way that, that ends up being kind of subverted. Yeah. Where Percy is like, oh, I've just, I, this guy is so awful, I'm going to fucking kill him. And Sally kind of standing up for herself and being like, I can't rely on gods to solve all my problems for me, I'll deal with this myself. And I feel like if, we, if we're toning down Gabe's awfulness to this degree, I feel like you, it's not like, it's not enough to drive things to that critical point. So I think that might that might just be the moment that like ends, we end up losing or doesn't land as well. I think we've already lost it. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think that works anymore because Sally is not the same character. Yeah. Uh, Sally is a very very different character because she frankly gets more scenes than she did in the book. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and you know that, I think that's a positive, but it does make her. I'm not saying this is good or bad, but she is different because she is more. She's more active, right? Mm. Uh, she is, uh, she does, uh, we'll talk about this next episode, but she does like a fight. She does like a fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, she does like epic shit. And when you've got a care that like Sally Jackson doesn't do epic shit until book five of PJO. At which point she gets a fucking police shotgun and starts like blowing away monsters, which does rule. And that's the thing. That's the exact moment I was thinking of because you are very surprised in book five when Sally pulls out a shotgun. If this Sally pulled out a shotgun, I would never be. I would say, of course, she has a shotgun. Yeah, no, I I would just assume that she has a gun in the glove compartment of that truck. Yeah. 
and it's fine. It's just different. I still need to analyze, like, do I like this better or worse? I don't know. Sally, Sally's a big character so far, and I want to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think it's it's very much going to depend on, like, how it ends up going. Because a, a worry that I do have is that this is kind of going to, like, go through the same motions as her original arc while just kind of papering over the more obvious stuff that someone might off the street might point to and go, like, isn't that kind of, like, sexist character writing? And kind of that gets papered over, but in ways that like undermine the things that were effective about the original arc, as problematic in places as it was. That's for that's the worry for sure. Yeah. Um. I that I, I would say that is like probably worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um. But I don't think that means it's not going to happen. Also. <laughs> <laughs> then they go to Montauk. Uh. And did I miss? Was there no blue food stuff here at all? There was. There was okay. Uh, there I think was, I'm... Uh, Sally before they leave um, is like I had just just enough time to stop after work and get you a welcome home present, and it's uh, a little bag of like blue corn chips. Right, right. Okay, you're right. Um, oh, and that comes back in the next episode, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but when they actually get to the cabin, <laughs> there's some incredible changes happening here. Mm-hmm. Sally explains to Percy that she uh dated a god and that his father is a god Mm -hmm. um and uh percy says like jesus (laughs) which is a like i mean this 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 was lightning thief as well like i think it was just like with chiron instead where like that's just a conversation that needs to happen when you're dealing in fiction like this yes but it's so funny Percy does believe in the divinity of Christ confirmed canon. <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't. And this is like the, the a moment where he's just like, wait, hang on. Was I wrong? <laughs> yeah. I the, the, did Jesus father me. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was Toby Stevens. Uh, uh-huh. And the way that that gets played here, like the way that she says it is very interesting to me. She's like, she's like, worried what percy will think big time right Mm -hmm. yeah she's very nervous she's like you can see her winding herself up to it and i yeah i I, i'll have more to say on that later i think think, but it's it's interesting go ahead i do think the scene is very funny in the like she's like she was like no man i'd ever dated before because he was a god and percy gives her a bit of side eye in that moment where i'm like is he's not figured out what's happening yet and he's just like all right fucking tone it down i don't need to <laughs> right like this. i i get it you loved him like he was awesome <laughs> and sexy or whatever no percy a literal god mm-hmm. um the grover's here grover's here oh we, we missed a little thing that happens before they arrive at the cabin actually which is oh uh, what was that uh i think an addition from the book uh, which is that Percy falls asleep in the car on the way over, and he has uh, a dream where he hears a mysterious voice. Uh, yes, we get our first mysterious voice dream. It flew by so fast, I didn't even take a note about it. <laughs> my my only note about the mysterious voice dream is that um, uh, I don't think that the voice is very interesting. Yeah. Whereas, like that, one of the, I think one of the things that's really distinctive about. Uh, Fuck it, we've spoiled enough stuff about Kronos in the in the original book is like the book describes him as having this kind of like almost seductive but also kind of like metallic voice which like I don't know how you would express that but it sounds like something that would be more unique than just like someone doing an evil voice and be like Percy Jackson 
<laughs> That's exactly what's... Ah, the, the, the time has come for you to release me. It's exactly that type of shit. Yeah. Um... They can, I, you can do a metal, the full metal alch. Did you, have you heard about how they did the metal voice for Al in Full Metal Alchemist? I actually have not. They put a metal, like, salad bowl behind the microphone. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, and they use the same bowl across all dubbings, apparently. <laughs> so. The same make of bowl or, like, the same physical bowl that they have to, like, mail between the studios? I'm not, I think it might have been the exact same bowl, and apparently they never washed it. Oh, gross. <laughs> so so, that, so like, much the, spit in the back of it. So that the quality of sound wouldn't change. Um, <laughs> I, I, they should have done that, is what I'm saying. They yeah, should have spit yeah, yeah, in yeah. a bowl. They should have gotten the specific Full Metal Alchemist spit bowl. <laughs> yes, I, I completely. Peter Dinklage to yell into that. Is it Peter Dinklage? I don't know. It's, to be frank, I have no idea. I actually need to lose. Uh, uh, no, it's a guy named uh, Nick Brain. Okay. I got him confused with Peter Dinklage because he did a lame villain voice in the Transformers movie last year, is I think what happened. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, fuck you, Nick Brain, whose Wikipedia page is a stub. <laughs> <laughs> Not too interesting so far. Maybe he'll be awesome. I don't know. Maybe. They'll probably get some other guy to do the actual thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Who's to say? Uh, the, the, an incredible sequence of lines happening here as soon as Grover arrives. Um, just, you know, why do you, Why is half of you a goat? Uh, the mytho magic cards were training. Yeah, that's <laughs> bullshit. That's, <laughs> there's no way that's real. Uh, it's like saying he, Yu-Gi-Oh is training for fucking Kane Chronicles kids. <laughs> He very casually drops, I'm actually 24. <laughs> Which, God, I missed that. You know, I, I thought for a second that they dropped that from this adaptation. He straight up says, I'm actually 24. It's very funny. <laughs> no one reacts. I think Percy is in shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see the Minotaur. Uh, uh, Not a fan? Not a fan. I don't think that the, min- the Minotaur fight scene really captures any of what I liked about the bit in the book. Well, no, <clears throat> I think what makes that stick in my memory is how like visceral and horrible it was. Where like, I know that some of this you can't really convey through the screen, but Percy is talking about how it like stinks of rotting meat. He's like, it's raining so hard that he can barely see what's happening. He's just kind of flailing and trying to stab this thing. Uh, and I think like this is this is really missing those kind of horrifying elements, especially because like they do the kind of deflationary move of oh, it's it's wearing funny underpants like right at the start of the scene. Yes, and this is a big... Per- that's a Percy Jackson move, but it's not the Percy Jackson move to start with. Yeah. I put someone else in funny underwear. I get that it's probably like a... It could be like a safer TV thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you gotta put, put underwear on the guy. I think they just would have made him fucking a candle down there. I don't think that they're covering an actual cock and balls. <laughs> well, no, I know that they're not covering an actual cock and balls, <laughs> but... You know, maybe you don't want Harry Minotaur ass on your like eight year old like TV show for eight year olds. Uh, I think I think it was wearing funny underwear in the book. Okay, uh, I I think that that does sound familiar, but frankly, it's a bigger element here than it was there. Yeah, in the and book, you, because you, you this... kind of read that line, then you move on, but it's always on the screen in this. Right, it's it's the visual medium versus text text thing. Yeah, this is one of the um, things where, where I was like, this kind of feels like something that was ripped straight from the book and is kind of janky in its adaptation. 
Yeah. Uh, and then Sally does awesome shit. She makes Grover swear uh, in a very, like, again, an additional scene that I think was actually really good. She makes Grover mm-hmm. swear. Like, almost, I think if she knew about the river sticks, she would have made him swear on the river sticks. Yeah. Um, uh, that he will like protect uh, Percy forever, basically. On, on the other hand, if they made Grover have to swear on the river sticks to keep Percy safe, he would have fucking incinerated a dozen times over by the end of book five. We would have had to actually see what breaking a river sticks promise means. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I I was tearing up for sure at this like just Percy and his mom their final goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the emotion of it hits. I, I maybe I'm just jaded, but I don't I don't think a lot of the emotional moments in these episodes hit for me, and I think part of the yeah. problem is that like, it's it's the the show's like look is very fake, I think, and I think that's one of the things that stops me from investing in it. Like uh-huh. it, the daylight scenes are very like oversaturated to the point where they kind of look computer generated, and like the the nighttime scene with the Minotaur is like I d- I don't know what it is, but it feels very soundstagey. And it's may- all too dark. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they were actually out in the middle of the woods in the pouring rain and I'm fucking insulting their craft and their commitment to the bit. But uh, that's uh-huh. what it looked like. Visually, the show isn't too interesting. No. Uh, I I don't like it. Here's the thing. I don't watch Disney Plus shows. Um, mm-hmm. it, if it's a Disney-style like associated production, I don't watch it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, sure, sure not thing. As a- Andor enjoy it's fucking except for Andor. <laughs> uh-huh. You need to. If anyone says that, you can put probably put the last verse. That means except for Andor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Andor doesn't look like most of these shows. No, that's also um, true. And I think maybe I'm just not used to it enough to be jaded yet. That's right? possible. Um, I thought the daylight scenes were fine. Some of them pretty good. Um, I I thought the darkness was too dark. I couldn't see shit. You can't. Um, you- Men in LA stop becoming influencers. We need gaffers. These shows dark as shit. <laughs> For the love of God, please. <laughs> I don't think the problem with the Minotaur is even like wonky CGI. I think like whatever fucking underpaid, overworked VFX person was doing this did the best they could. I think that just like the design is not threatening. Like it's it's not visually interesting enough to be threatening, and I because it's just like a big gray blob. And like the face is too friendly. It looks like a fucking dog face, not a bull face. It's got like yeah. big floppy ears. And that's the you know, that's not even mentioning the underpants thing. Which like if, if the rest of it held up, I don't think I would mind as much. Yeah, the Minotaur looks good. Um but it looks too good. Uh mm-hmm. it it looks like a cool Minotaur figurine. Yeah. Not like a scary beast running at you about to kill your mom. Yeah, that, 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 I think that makes sense. And I kind of I like how the scene plays out. I also don't. Um I Interesting. I kind of don't I, I like that we're doing more with Sally's character as we talked about before. I'm also like I think that this doesn't hit emotionally because of her of it it, it changes from a tragedy to like a tactic, right? Mm-hmm. We get like at, like they're sitting down and planning like all right what are we gonna do I'm gonna run this way you're gonna run this way uh, rather than like a desperate final it, it's still a desperate final stand but it feels less so like her doing the like uh, minotaur red cape thing she's like a matador I yeah it's fine I don't think it's how I want I I don't think it makes it feels kind of goofy that Percy thinks she died 
Yeah, it it does. I I I think like what you're saying about the way the scene plays out is like the thing that I was saying before that I was worried about, where it's like we changed the scene to give Sally more agency, but in doing so, we've undercut the like the the horrible thing in the the horrible gut punch in the book of just like we made it to safety, but uh, Sally can't come over the line, so she's gonna fucking die now. Yeah, and also uh, am yeah, I remembering? It, go ahead. And also, yeah, it, actually no, you, but you go. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um. I we also just see that she doesn't die. Yeah, this is I this this plays into a change that I really don't like, which is like it's much more obvious from the start that Sally is alive. I like it more in episode two than I like it in episode one. Um, mm. Just but, fucking show. I I guess there's only a certain amount of like implied violence you can get away with. Like I don't know if the minus will like punches the car while Sally's still inside it and it explodes or something. You don't have to like, yeah. show her getting exploded, but maybe that's still too much. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but she disappears in a little shimmer of golden light. Mm-hmm. And Grover notices Percy doesn't, mm-hmm. and Percy passes out and wakes up to see a bunch of like half wakes up to see a bunch of silhouettes, and that's the episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, he also still kills it with a doom finisher. Oh, he does do that. Uh, I frankly i forgot it was forgettable it's so dark it's so dark when that happens it's an okay fight not too interesting yeah good yeah but yeah decent final shot it actually as i say it it makes me think this it does kind of feel like a star wars tv show shot (laughs) um like seeing the silhouettes on the horizon or whatever yeah 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 and then we get to episode two well hang on wait wait before we get to episode two i also want to talk about the uh, closing credits of the show sure yeah uh because i think that these are like uh really neat they have this like weird like greek mythology art deco thing going on yeah which uh is from having a look at the art deco wikipedia page uh briefly before we started recording this uh, i can tell you (laughs) is like a neat touch because the empire state building is art deco so like you know that being mount olympus it makes sense that like the stuff you draw surrounding it is also art deco it's kind of that very kind of 50s idea of what the future would look like kind of aesthetic definitely yeah i i like them they're cool they're they're cool it's it's one of those things that makes me worried about how much uh is it steinberg or steinbeck steinberg how much steinberg has been able to like pull back on uh rick ryden's tendencies just to Mm -hmm. have this like you know, this beautiful uh, ending sequence entirely inspired by the art style of the Empire State Building that Mount Olympus is on. Yeah. Where I'm just a little bit... I think... I, I wonder how much, like, the mode of the show is, like, more geared towards what Rick Ryden is trying to do. But also, it I, looks I, nice. I, the design of the Furies in this uh, ending bit is a lot cooler than the version in the show. It's sick, yeah. <laughs> Episode 2, I think, is where, where this comes together more. Mm-hmm. I I like it a lot more than I do episode one because I we start to see this is where we start to see the Steinberg of it all actually I would say interesting this is where the the book becomes TV show promise actually like f- is fully realized or begins to be fully realized mm-hmm. where the important thing about the book is like we're staying in Percy's perspective we're getting all these events through him uh you know we're we're, we're delivering a story the thing that you want in like a big tv show like this is Mm. a bunch of different characters with a bunch of different motivations that slide around each other sometimes aligning sometimes conflicting yeah yeah and 
like this is something that happens really good really well in black sales absolutely and this episode kind of felt like baby's first black sales you know i hadn't even thought about it but you're right there is like a lot of stuff happening not a lot of stuff but there's like stuff happening outside of percy's field of view in this episode which is a really interesting change yeah the the first time we got like grover pov for a scene i was fascinated yeah and of course we get annabeth we get annabeth we get her iconic line you drool when you sleep uh i feel the need to note that there's no drool on percy's pillow in any any of the scenes where he's in the bed there should be which it's a little is, fuck up there it's a little fuck up it's also like part of my thing about like the way the show looks where i feel like it's too clean mm-hmm. especially like it's just smelly gabe is kind of emblematic of it where like you were saying he's hollywood hot but like you know you don't you didn't you didn't even want to put the drool on the pillow to make it a little bit gross to fit with what's happening in the book make grimier make it all grimier a little, a little bit grimier a little less fake looking please Gr- per- percy's mad at grover still percy's mad at grover i think that's that's fair <laughs> it's fair i like that the relationship is a lot more contentious uh, than it was in the book yeah like, definitely per- percy doesn't just get over all the shit that grover has done to him which you know everything he did for, was you know to protect percy but that doesn't mean percy's gotta like it i think i think it's it's also like they have a different thing in the book where um i don't think grover dobs him in about the nancy boba fett thing right he doesn't no it's what happens there is that he hears grover and chiron like talking in an office after hours uh and he is like oh all these people are like you know they have ideas about me behind my back and are talking about me and stuff like that yeah and it's specifically how, the, like the betrayal of like he hears i think he hears them talking about miss dodds yes and like that, that's that's actually something that i also don't like about the show is how much it truncates that and we don't have that long period of percy being like what the fuck did i hallucinate that entire that like teacher yeah yeah, uh, I think actually that... What if we just got an entire first episode that was like a suspense thing that was like <laughs> Percy at this school after this weird thing has happened? That would have been cool. I think whoever was assigning the budget would have probably killed whoever suggested that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> we have to have scenes in a, in another set. We have to fucking reuse the volume. We have to put more stuff in it. Oh, God. We have to sweep but- up all the sand from filming Kenobi. Can you explain the volume to our listeners who might not know? Because I barely know what it is. The vo- it's just it's literally just a big round screen that they use instead of a green screen and they just like put a background on it uh, and then build like half a set. And this is how they film every uh, Disney Plus TV show. And that's why some stuff like I don't know, like The Mandalorian in some places where it's just like it's just a guy standing on a dune is very easy for them to film and it looks great and it kind of looks almost like it does in real life. Uh, and then a lot of stuff where they're trying to do, like, cities and indoor shots and stuff looks like absolute fucking dog shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we were like, oh, but maybe they won't do that for this show. And then Rick Riordan did a big blog post where he was like, I was so excited. I'm such a Star Wars nerd. I got to go out and see the volume, which I'll be using. Yeah. Yeah. Dionysus? I love Dionysus. Dionysus, as in the book, is one of the best characters already. <laughs> completely agree i was worried what's his name uh jason manzoukas is that him yes i was worried he'd be too wacky and he's not he's 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 got it right at exactly the right level of like wacky but also like mercurial like just a deeply unpleasant person to be around yeah very cruel immediately yeah um (laughs) percy opening up in such a vulnerable way to him (laughs) 
like him being like, please, sir, I just want to find my dad. I, I really think I need that. That would be good for me right now. I'm having a really hard time and I'd like to talk to him. Where, could I find him? And he's like, I'm right here, son. Get me a beer. <laughs> and it's, it's such a it's it's a brilliant addition to the book because this I don't think this happens in the book. No, where, like it's it's such good characterization for Dionysus that he's this much of a shithead that he would do this just to get Percy to give him a drink. And mm-hmm. is also like, like you were saying about the Steinberg of it all, this is the first view we get of the gods being really fucking like shady assholes where he's like, you know, the, the, the initial framing of how like demigod quests work in this show is that Dionysus will pretend to be your dad to make you get him a beer because Zeus said that he can't do it himself. And that's great because we know from the books that que- all the quests before this have been bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, go do this quest that Hercules did uh, and people have done a hundred times since. And you'll get a fucking horrible scar on your face for it. It's, oof. Really, that's really good. Um, and I like how casually we meet a god for the first time. There's not big music. There's nothing like that. It's just... Uh oh, I stumbled into one. He's just sitting on a fucking patio, sipping a Diet Coke with his sunglasses on. I thought he was hungover for a second before I remembered that he can't have alcohol. He's, he had too many Diet Cokes, he has a headache. Unless he does, he is hungover and just like the kid who came in yesterday, he also told him that he was his dad, so he was able to get into the wine cellar. Have we considered that Dionysus may be perpetually hungover even though he never is able to drink? Maybe that's it. Maybe he was like... He was finally stopped from drinking and the cumulative hangover of thousands of years hit him at once and he's still in it. I think Which that would explain like, might why be he's true. such a dick all the time. Yeah. Um this is a bit of a change actually. This is a very small change, but making we're, okay, first of all, we are introducing early, we're seeding early the idea that if a god can't do something, they can get a demigod to do it for them. Mm-hmm. Clever writing. Yeah. Good stuff. Um because that will be very important to this show. Uh, secondly, in the book, I think it was that he would, like, try and drink alcohol, but it would, like, dance away from him, right? Yeah, I think it, like, turns into water as he tries to drink it or something. Or we so, might be getting confused with Tantalus. I don't remember. <laughs> that's... I might be confused. But I feel like he, like, tried to drink alcohol once. I think but, he might be right. But I... but And it didn't work. Um, and... It's interesting the idea that you could just like circumvent that by getting a demigod to do it. Mm-hmm. Like that was never even suggested in the books, and I like that little change. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think Castor and Pollux will do it, or are they they're like under strict watch to make sure that they don't? I think that they will. You know, i I want to see I want to see live action Castor and Pollux and have them just be like identical like rosy cheeked germ like little german boys with the later hosen and everything <laughs> pollux is like he's the one who'll always slip his dad a beard and that'll make him more tragic when he fucking dies in battle of the labyrinth <laughs> yes exactly um spoilers jane <laughs> we've already crossed that fucking bridge we crossed that <laughs> delaware we've crossed the bridge and percy is crumbling it underneath us <laughs> Oh god. Um Hans appears full full horse. I really smart piece of costuming here, I think, genuinely. Where Chiron is like he's wearing like this little waistcoat and he's always like kind of clutching it and adjusting it. 
uh, and I would not have even noticed if I hadn't seen the original movie that this was something they did to make sure that he's not like dangling his arms beneath his waist to fuck with the VFX. You're right. But it, because I remember from the first movie fucking naked horse Pierce Brosnan always crossing his arms for no reason and that obviously being like why they're doing it. You know, you can you can pick out that this is a much more elegant version of that. Absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting. Um good 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 like catch there. Uh, I enjoy Chiron in the show. I we talked about you know our appraisal of him sort of earlier. I enjoy him. Mm-hmm. Um I want him to be wearing silly armor more than he is though. Yeah, I I can't wait until we get to in if there's later seasons and we get to like Battle Labyrinth and stuff, he has to wear fucking horse armor. He can't just wear the waistcoat all the time. <laughs> um, I think that's also po- probably a consequence of getting rid of like uh, you know, him and his like I have my collection of Roman armor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think about it. I wonder when he was saying if he was saying I have my own collection of Roman armor, he just meant Camp Half Blood. Yes, almost certainly. <laughs> I. I we've never really thought about it before, but yes, probably. Yeah, that probably is exactly what that was implying, and it's taken us three years to note. <laughs> you know, we are called the unwise girls, not for nothing. <laughs> yeah, and we get that Grover POV. We get him. We after Percy leaves, we get him just sort of expressing that he's worried about Percy. Mm-hmm. And um, then we see the Cavins. What do you think of the Cavins, Jane? Uh. To, to once again compare to the movie, I don't like that this is also in a forest. Like, I get that you have to do it, because otherwise you have to build 13 cabins, otherwise they're not in the background of the shots you need, and it's much easier to just put some fucking trees in the way, but it makes it feel so small and cramped. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that there are some things, um, but again, that I think there, there are some things with this that are better done than the uh, movie framing, still just in the Vancouver woods. It's. It might even be the same woods. Who fucking knows? I think it very well could be. <laughs> I'm glad that the Hermes cabin is at least not a gamer pad, though. Am I? Gl- I am glad. I here's my thing. I always imagined these as like small cabins mm. uh, that were like cramped and like full of like way too many people. Yeah. Um. This these are big cabins, actually. This is like a dining hall sized cabin. It's a big cabin. Now that you mention it, yeah, it's weird that the Hermes cabin actually seems like pretty spacious when like one of the things that we hear is like God of Travelers takes in the unclaimed kids. This place is always fucking packed. Well, I that's actually why I like it, is because it's a big cabin. It's still kind of packed. Mm. Um They they get that across I, I think decently well. Uh, like we, there are a lot of kids in there, and I think they could make it like a little bit more packed, but uh, it, it it was still done. I think I, I I think that is still a good like set design choice. I guess at a certain point you need to make a concession to the cameraman has to be able to fucking get in here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you you can't literally have like bunk beds piled up in every single square inch of the place because mm-hmm. otherwise they'll collapse on a fucking child actor and kill them. <laughs> Uh huh. Percy doesn't even have a bunk bed. He has a fucking sleeping roll. Yep. That's great. Yeah, poor fucker. Uh, he gets the blue candy out. And the. They wrote the scene to do this. They wrote they wrote the scene for this purpose, and it this is probably the moment that worked best for me out of like almost the entire show. Mm-hmm. Some kid coming up to Percy 
and being like, her do you beat the Minotaur? Percy being like, can we, can you go fucking bully me tomorrow instead, please? <laughs> I, I need like a day to process all this. And, and getting from the kid, hey, I know you're going through a lot right now. I've been through it too. I, I want to be the, like, be, like the most open and sympathetic possible response and then dropping the i'm luke yeah. nice to meet you fucking amazing <laughs> yeah absolutely i also just a little note about percy's response also is that he's like uh could you bully me later i need some time to process this and i think it's like it's a neat piece of writing that he doesn't try to play the my mom just died card because it makes him feel like a kid who's been bullied long enough to know that that is just handing ammunition over <laughs> yes yes um clarice would make fun of him for having a, a dead mom absolutely what do you think of luke what do i think of luke uh he's i i hmm i think like on, on his own as a character in the show he works fine and i understand like the bond that he and percy like build up like pretty well i do think there is like there is a thing in the books where he's kind of the um he kind of has a suave, a suaveness and a charm and a charisma to him that I don't think is really coming across in this performance so far. Which, again, is like, is like the, you know, the person playing him is an awkward teenager who's doing the best they can. I'm not, like, mad about it. It's just, I think it's missing that. You know what? I, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I do think, though? What? He, I, this show perfectly captures Percy thinking he's suave and cool. Yes, definitely. And that's, I think, more important. Yeah, the bond works. Uh, the bond works. And that's because, you know, the book is... We think that Luke is a suave and cool guy because Percy does in mm. the book, right? It, it's all from his perspective. And I think if we're, like, looking for a match like that, I think we've got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand... I, and I, honestly, I think if you're, like, a kid watching this, you would think Luke is super cool. Mm-hmm. They're already building up some sinister stuff with him, though. Yes. As soon as he says, you know what's really important, Percy? Glory. <laughs> Incredible stuff. This, the, the uh, whole thing with the, the glory, uh, where it's like, it's like a thing that you acquire that makes people like you more when you do quests, is like, this is a big change and I'm not sure that I like it because it just feels like you level up by doing quests and get more charisma points. Uh yes and yes and yes yes you're right it is very that it's the disney it's the franchisified thing Mm -hmm. it's it also it coming from luke specifically and also clarice um makes it feel and clarice very offhandedly in a dismissing way so i'll just say luke mostly yeah him being like this is the most important thing if you're a demigod glory kleos Mm -hmm. uh it this is setting up our like um baby fascist luke thing yes it definitely is and i think tying that in even though it is also doing the franchise building thing makes it more palatable to me yeah i think yeah it's 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 understandable that that's like it it does a good job of like introducing this context in a way that is characterizing luke i just don't think the concept is good (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I honestly just hope it doesn't come up more often. Like, yeah. I don't want it to be like, here are your glory points for the month. Here's your glory <laughs> report. Uh, I I want it to be just like a vague concept they're talking about in this episode as like a theme. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Because I, I was watching this and thinking like, 
here are the top 10 TikTok books you can read this month to get the most glory. You know what I mean? Uh, uh. And we get more Grover scenes, too. We get we get Grover going to see the Council of Cloven Elders, who just seem like normal guys, which is so weird because we've spent so much time thinking of the Cloven Elders as like this group of unhinged dickbags. Yeah, this group of like strange old satyr wizards, <laughs> and yeah, normal guys for the most part. Uh, and we don't see a whole lot of them. I guess it's good we're establishing establishing them early. Yeah, but we do get Grover, Grover. And I remember incorrectly that it's not until like the halfway point of the book that they realize that Sally might not be dead. It's yeah, it's a decent chunk of the way into the journey. I think it might even be Ares that tells them if I remember. I think that might be right. And instead we've got Grover figuring it out. Mm-hmm. So I I agree with you or I completely agree. I think we're in, you know, agreement about it not being a great like minotaur encounter not so good mm-hmm. i do like that grover figures it out here i mm. because it works so well for establishing like motivations like why would percy want to do this hmm i'm more mixed on it because okay. this is this is a move that the movie did as well where they made it so that like hades like shows up at camp Halfbone and is like percy jackson i've got your mom come and get her and it it changes the motivation for percy to go to like he's going explicitly to retrieve his mom and I, I like that as a thing that gets introduced later. But I, one of the things that I kind of like about uh, the quest initially in Lightning Thief is that Percy's Percy has two things on his mind, which is just like revenge, because he thinks that Hades sent the Minotaur, and also like having to clear his name because Poseidon claimed him and dragged him into this political dispute, and is now like Percy now has no choice but to like solve it to get out of it. Otherwise, Zeus is going to fucking kill him. And I kind of, <clears throat> I like that that puts the gods in such a murky position where they basically blackmail Percy into doing this for them and he's like obviously pissed off about it. And you know, you still get like the lighter elements of like his budding friendship with Annabeth and like his, his little hijinks with Grover. But I think like this kind of misses one of one of the, um, one of the things that I, one of the early like the gods are real fucking assholes things from the books. I partially... <laughs> Yeah, mostly I agree with you. I I think that this does still maintain the Percy is being pulled into a conflict for no reason thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we later on we get such a clear and direct mirror of the principal's office scene. Yeah. Um, Percy is pulled into the principal's office, told, "Hey, according to the eyes of God, you did something wrong. Now go prove that you didn't do it." Yeah. And he's. That is great framing. Yeah, definitely. That's not something I'd even thought about until you brought it up, but that's really good. I kind of like for a character choice that Percy... <sighs> Percy isn't motivated enough by that anymore. Like, mm-hmm. he's gone through enough of that that it doesn't phase him as much, even though it's, like, on such a grand level, because he doesn't he doesn't have something to fight for, right? Yeah. He doesn't have, like, a, rela- like a, a mom to come home to. He doesn't have a friend in the same way that he did with Grover before. Um, he's kind of unmoored in that way, and I think that yeah. bringing the mom motivation in re- reattaches him to having a sense of place in the world mm-hmm. that he can fight for, so that he can fight for himself again. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's definitely like it's not like a thing that's objectively bad. It's just like an adaptational choice that I don't super super vibe with. Totally fair. Totally fair. Um, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves, I suppose, because Clarice is here. Clarice is here, and Percy is here to claim his lordship of the bathroom. He yeah. Well, we first get her like shoulder checking him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then like get the bullying scene there's so many <sighs> we also i guess we kind of already talked about luke but we we skipped over the montage of him doing stuff with percy wait i want to talk about that montage that's uh i think it's funny it's a it's a funny montage i wish there was more than two activities in it. no same i at least three like that's normally the number of things on a thing at least but i do like percy percy almost kills some people with a bow and then Luke takes him to a forge and Percy just accidentally sets some sacks on fire and like the scene ends with Luke just like bundling him out of there immediately <laughs> and I think there is something so funny about like yeah you might not ever get claimed by a parent but if you pick up a bow and arrow for the first time and you get a fucking bullseye you're probably like a, a, an Apollo kid mm-hmm. right like there's almost like a culture of pseudo claiming going on in an interesting way. Yeah. Or I guess you could read it as like calling out if you have the skills, maybe the parent will recognize you, that kind of thing. I yeah, don't know. Cause I think the way that um, Luke kind of pitches this to Percy is that like, this is, this is how you get a bit of Kleos is that you like, yeah. you get better at a thing and then your parent has to notice you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which I guess Percy makes it more like funny. a fucking grade than charisma points. Yeah. Percy's very funny here. Um, in just like, because he's the one who says, like, if I get enough, if I get enough of this Cleo stuff, then that means my dad will have to, like, to, uh, claim me. And Luke's like, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy, let's try it. Uh, <laughs> that could he happen. Is not... I'm making no promises, but... But it's certainly a possibility. <laughs> like they're they're in 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 this infinite multiverse. Surely one of these <laughs> things can happen. <laughs> let's let's we can talk about Clarice quickly. I think she's cool. This is this is this is a cool Clarice. I know that re- realistically you kind of want the kind of ripped Clarice from the books, but also like I don't think ethically you can put like a child onto the kind of diet where they can get ripped. That seems like no, it'd be really yeah. bad for them. Yeah, I yeah, I I don't you you don't want a ripped child no. just like in general. <laughs> um but she's you know tall, intimidating, she is mean, she's very mean, and she's basically got all the inc- ingredients of Clarice characterization and she's got the Clarice vibes. Uh I think that her like bathroom ambush is so lame. <laughs> Yeah, it's and I, I I wish it was it. This took place at daytime rather than at night, so that like people were looking at how lame it is to like add to that feeling of embarrassment for her. Yeah, because she just runs away into the night instead of covered like everyone seeing water. her covered in toilet water. <laughs> yeah. I also think this this is another like this this show should be more grimy and horrible moment. Uh, the bathroom's too clean. This is a fucking summer camp bathroom, and it's like pristine. There's no way. There should be poop in that toilet. There should be poop in the toilet. There should be poop in the shower drains. <laughs> Jesus, gross. <laughs> You're right, though. Uh, that is true. Um, uh, Jane, do you want to talk about the offering scene? 
That I I fucking love this scene. This is pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Percy like he learns about the offerings from Luke, uh, and in another thing that I'm pretty sure is an addition from the book, uh, he like goes into the woods, lights a little fire in a tin can, and puts some of his like blue candy in it, and like is sending a message to what he thinks is his dead mom. Which yeah, it's a really sweet scene. This is um. This actually feels like a bit of a nod to the musical to me, mm. um, because there is the the campfire song, uh, where they're all like singing about their parents, right? Everyone's like, "My mom's Athena," whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Percy's like, "Well, my mom is named Sally, and she's really cool, and I love her, but she's yeah. dead now." <laughs> um, and everyone's like, "That's lame. We're not supposed to sing about your mortal parent." Uh, <laughs> I think that's that's him doing the offering to her uh, is really sweet. Uh, it's it's one of probably the best scenes in the show so far, actually. Um, I especially coming off of like Luke introduces the concept of bur- of a burnt offering and basically says like, if you give them the thing that you will miss the most, mm. they might like be attracted to the smell of uh, a smell Begging. of desperation, basically. Yeah. Um, and so Percy burns his blue candy instead of keeping it. Yeah. And that's that's really effective. Yeah, and I also like. I think it's a really uh, good way of showing like how kind of fucked up Percy is about this. Where he like he starts this conversation like pretty normally, where he kind of is like, "Oh, uh, this, this is just like when I would phone you from uh, a school I'd been sent off to." Haha. But this time it's good because I think I've made some friends here. But then it kind of morphs into a fucking proto Charles Vane speech almost. <laughs> Uh-huh. Where it, it slowly Percy is more and more like, well, my fucking shithead dad uh, has, like, put me in this position. And you know what? I'm going to make him notice me. Whatever I have to fucking do to make him notice me, I will do. Which is like, that. I know wh- which way the show is going to go. That could so easily be, like, Percy deciding he's going to kill the gods. Honestly, yes. This is... Percy is a little scary here. Mm-hmm. Um... Walker Scoville plays this pretty decently for like again asterisk for a child actor. Yeah. Um he, he is he is good. Yeah. Um you know not, he's not just a younger fucking Ryan Gosling or whatever. He he, <laughs> he he's good at this stuff. Um he 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 gets at the the side of Percy that really lashes out, right? Mm, yeah. Um, the side of Percy that can be that, that he gets the side of Percy that in the Heroes of Olympus people will look at him and describe him as like kind of like frightening to be around. It's a little flash of like that bit in um, House of Hades where he where Percy fucking like water bends a bunch of poison into a guy and tortures him until Annabeth like gets him to back off. Absolutely, yeah. Speaking of Annabeth, uh. She introduces herself by uh, stalking Percy, admitting to it, uh, and she's such a quest freak. Yeah, I, I love this little kid. Um, you know who else loves this little kid is Luke. Yeah, I think they've they have I think very deftly reframed their relationship right off the bat here. Yes, because I, I Luke Luke I think says the word she's like a sister to me like three or four times while he's explaining the deal to Percy. Which to, to me feels like them trying to get in ahead of how really fucking weird it was in Last Olympian where he was like, Annabeth, did you ever love me? And he's like 20 and she's 16. 
uh-huh no the the luca beth thing is being thrown away thank fucking god it is being smothered um, in the crib and i i i could see rick riordan genuinely being like didn't realize the implications of that yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like uh i and i i I'm really glad because it, it makes it a more interesting relationship. Him just being like, yeah, she's like my little sister. That. Yeah. But actually the exact. Okay. But please go ahead. Yeah. I don't think this loses anything. Cause like the important thing was like, they had a history and they had a bond and she felt really betrayed by him, like turning over to Kronos' side. And that's, they've still preserved that. You don't lose any of that. Well, especially with him saying, Percy says, whose side are you on anyway? And Luke says, Oh, hers always. Yeah. She's my little sister. Good stuff. And, Again, every single scene with Luke is they're fucking waiting for the knife to drop. Absolutely. They're waiting for the scorpion to drop onto Percy's hand. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of scorpions dropping into the narrative, have you heard of a little of a kid named Thalia Grace? (laughs) Every day, her bravery inspires me. (laughs) I see Monsters movie so fucking bad. It's so funny. Hey, very small thing. Uh-huh. Did you notice that fucking Chiron later on says Poseidon? Does he say Poseidon? He says Poseidon. <laughs> like like fucking Pierce Brosnan or whoever did in the in the original in the in the Sea of Monsters movie. God, I don't think I don't think Pierce Brosnan came back for the Sea of Monsters movie. Whatever fucking no name actor who's probably actually very nice. I'm sorry that they got to replace him. Yeah, they but they they did. He he's doing the Poseidon thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny. Um, we're getting Thalia early. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I think that's just like a, a smart choice to like make the story feel a bit more unified. Like you know, it just like with the Myth of Magic cards, it just you know, makes it feel a little less like an author making shit up on the fly. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, bringing uh, things that were created later, earlier, in an organic way, works really well. I, it, it you know, makes the Luke and Annabeth connect- connection a lot more real in mm. that way. You know, they have this shared loss that they've bonded over. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there is, again, a Disneyfication, a franchiseification, repeatedly using the phrase, like, she was one of the forbidden children. Yeah, this is this is a term that's going to end up like on on a fan wiki. It'll be highlighted and underlined, so you can click through. And to I it. kind of hate it. <laughs> if bit. I'm being honest. Although this is this is also where we get to uh, the thing that I'm absolutely sure someone told Rick to strip out of this mm-hmm. because uh, Luke does the whole explanation of like the big three. Their kids were getting too powerful, and they decided that they they needed to stop having them. Uh, notably, what he does not say is that it's because they caused the Second World War. <laughs> Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. I didn't even notice. Yep. And you know what? I, why I didn't notice? Because it doesn't fucking lose anything. Yeah, because the, the idea is still there and you can still bring in the prophecy to justify it later. Holy cannoli. <laughs> uh, good on you, TV show, for not fucking having that. Whoever vetoed that idea, I want to shake their hand. I am going to have so big a laugh if in like episode seven or whatever when we we meet hades percy just says like you will look like hitler uh like you look like Uh uh-huh this is interesting because i think like if they if they want to do the percy pointing at hades and being like you look like hitler and napoleon and blank like in 2005 you pick osama because like 9-11 was four years earlier and he's not dead yet 
Who who totally. do you put into that like national enemy of America slot today? Putin? Maybe Putin. Frankly, I guess I'm not like a 10-year-old, so I don't know. I feel like Osama bin Laden has had like a legacy that persists on because of everything. That's true. Uh, Kids I, I on TikTok still are just... reading Osama bin Laden's letters to America. That's not real. Like 500 of them did that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I I think that could honestly still play. Um, I'm going to pick... I don't have an answer. I think it'd just be Putin. Yeah, I think you're right. It's either Putin or I. You know, this probably won't happen, but I guarantee someone suggested Rick Ryden probably suggested it, and someone shot it down. Is uh, Donald Trump? <laughs> Wait, they might do that. They won't do it, but they might do that. I, it was absolutely a suggestion that was shot down at some point. There's no way it wasn't. They might make him more of a Trump, though. <laughs> they might Lex Luthor, might... Young Justice season three. This every single villain. In this fucking vortex of a culture is just becoming Donald Trump. Uh. Uh, it's possible. Anyway, uh, speaking of that shit, do you feel like Percy had a little bit of like Marvel dialogue syndrome sometimes? I think I wonder how much of that is just like Percy is kind of like a pre-Marvel, like very quippy hero. Yeah. Like he's always throwing out little little jobs, little fucking little bobs and jabs and things like that uh jarbs jar- <laughs> he he would he would fucking rinse me for saying jobs is the kind of character he is and i think that's yes. like it, it it is very a very like marvel dialogue ass thing but i think it's it's excusable because percy was doing it first percy isn't really rinsing anyone here though he he's kind of just he kind of just does a well that just happened like he does do that i guess sometimes. he would he would say, oh, well, that just happened in the books, too. I'll I'll wait and see. I'm reserving judgment so far on that aspect. But there were, I think during the um during the amazing battle capture the flag sequence, uh, which you know contains it's probably the other greatest scene in this entire TV yes. show. Um uh he, he there are a couple of lines when he's like reacting. He's like, Oh, guess I will need my sword. Where which is just like, ah, eh, it doesn't quite land for me. I can see that. Annabeth's cool as hell. Annabeth is really cool. She's she's got her invisible hat. She's running around. She's doing tactics and plans. You don't often see a, like a, a child actor able to pull off like this person is confident in armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think who's I think that Leah Jeffries is doing a great job and just like walking around in armor, uh, like feeling like like she has like a tactical confidence. Yeah, and. I think that's that I, I they they don't give Annabeth enough in these episodes in a way that I kind of don't like. She's very like woman a few words, yeah, um, and that's frustrating to me because I I always feel like Annabeth should be like a jabbermouth. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's it's a thing of like in you know in this section of the book as well. Percy doesn't see a lot of Annabeth, and she's not really opened up to him yet. That's true. That's certainly true. At the very least, we understand what Annabeth's about at this point, where we know that she wants to go on a quest. Percy wants to do, like, you know, like, wants to find his dad. Uh, Grover wants to protect Percy. And this is where, like, all the character motivations start really being kind of satisfying and how they move around. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially as we're entering this big capture the flag sequence, uh, which apparently goes on for, like, the entire day. I didn't realize this. Yeah, I guess so. 
I thought it was like a couple, like a, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. Yeah. They they're like, oh, we know you know that Clarice scouts around in the forest looking for people, for people to beat up, like for the first three or four hours. <laughs> I'm like, what? It goes on for that long? Yeah, and like the fact that it goes on for that long, I think is. <clears throat> Explains why we we get a montage which uh, very succinctly shows off Percy's ADHD. (laughs) Yes. Um, Do you want to describe this one? We get a funny uh, smash cut from Luke saying, don't worry, Percy's got it handled, to uh, Percy, who has just been left alone on top of a hill, uh, flossing to nobody, uh, then (laughs) having a piss, and then petting a lizard that he found. And then just sleeping, it looks like. He lies down and he's, like, fidgeting with a leaf. (laughs) Incredible stuff. I I have to... I haven't, like, looked at a lot of online discussion about the show because I don't want to get spoilers for the episodes that have already come out. I have to imagine that people are pissed off about the flossing, right? Almost certainly. I've heard a couple of things about it, and I think that it deserves only praise, if I'm being honest. Listen, fucking... Percy is an ADHD-riddled Gen Alpha kid in the early 2020s. Of course he knows how to fucking floss. Yes, that it's important for him to do it, I think. This, it, it makes him more relatable to the the children of today. And this is a point in which did send me down a, a little bit of a spiral where I realized that uh, Book Percy uh, was actually older than us, I think, by a couple of years. Uh, yes. But now updated for this modern generation, Percy is significantly younger than us. Percy was 12 in 2005, I think. Yeah. In 2005, I was, I think, 7. I was five. Yeah, he 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 is older. He, well, he was older than us in the books, but I don't think it's. I also don't think that's true anymore because he's in. He's like what, like eighteen now, probably I mean, because in the books. He's eternally stuck in like the two or three years where Heroes of Olympus happens. I think. Yeah, um, and now you're right. I keep forgetting that I, I'm gonna become an old woman for a second. I keep forgetting that Gen Alpha is a thing now. I keep thinking of them as Gen Z. Yeah. No, I wrote fucking Zoomer in my notes and then was like, wait, that that might not be right. Like, I know that technically I fall within the Gen Z category. Mm. Yeah, I think we just sne- just squeak it. And yet, like the time that I've existed online, I've always I was always like in my fucking formational period i always saw people complaining about young millennials uh Uh, so i was like of course i'm one of those millennials and then you know the boundaries were like more clearly defined or whatever it's all nonsense Um, oh yeah but anyway anyway percy is like five years old and he's running around with a sword he's running around with a sword when he's not flossing yeah um what kind of lizard was that anyway i don't know it was cute. It was a cute lizard. I I guess that's one upside. Excuse me. I guess that's one upside to Camp Half-Blood being mostly in a forest is that there's funny lizards and also giant ants. Were there Oh, there are ants, right? Yeah. I, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, you want the forest to be like huge and kind of impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Uh here it just surrounds the camp in a way that, you know, we've ta- is less interesting, but I don't know, maybe it's cool. It, yeah, um, it feels kind of small and cramped just because like the place this fight ends up going back to is the uh the the eating area. Yeah. Yeah. And like you get I just didn't like Percy walking out of the big house and immediately being on the water. Mm-hmm. Um and and being right next to like Hermes cabin basically. Yeah. It just always feels too close together. I get it. But I just want, 
this is my one like I want it to be just like the books is I want the exact layout of the of Camp Half Blood yeah, from the books to be on the TV show. Because also like when when we get to fucking they have to build all the cabins for the minor gods they're gonna have to cut down most of this forest. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to burn some trees. Mm-hmm. Clarice gets some like character it, like. Like we 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 see a new side of her, which is like she's very very invested in making Percy admit that he like hasn't done impressive things. Mm-hmm. And do we think that this is part of her thing with like proving herself to her dad? I think it must be. Yeah, like the idea of someone being at camp who has like done a, a cooler martial feat than she has probably bugs her. And we know that by the fucking end of the series, Clarice is going to be, like, destroying skyscrapers with her sword mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but for now, I, I assume she has, like, gone on a couple baby quests like everyone else, I, you know, done maybe one cool thing. Actually, now that I think about it, uh-huh. that's something that doesn't come up in these episodes was the the fact that, like, Luke's quest in um, uh, the original book, that was, like, the last quest they'd done and there'd been, like, no more for a couple of years because that went so badly wrong but that doesn't nobody mentions that here the what we do get is it being mentioned that chiron has been like squashing attempts to go on quests Mm -hmm. um but we i i imagine that we will get a luke and percy scene in the next episode before he leaves Uh, yeah that makes sense and i think it will come out then and we get a fight scene, a, a decent fight scene, not the best, uh, between Clarice and some Ares cabin, like, goons, mm-hmm. and uh, Percy, uh, where he is mostly getting... He's not, like, getting his shit rocked. He's a, he's decent at this. Um, he's getting his ass kicked a but, little bit. Yeah, he is. He is getting his ass kicked. But he does do one thing, which is break Clarice's awesome spear. Yeah, which... That sucks. I love that spear. That's so cool. And she's mad at that, too. Yeah, I think, like, that along with, like, the martial feet stuff is, like, is, is really playing up early that she cares a lot about impressing Ares. Absolutely, because that, that is, like, a weapon from Ares, right? Yeah, it's. I, th- I think it even, like, cuts to it when Chiron's like, any magical gifts from your parents, you're free to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I, we're getting different sides of Clarice in very subtle ways that I like mm-hmm. because she's one of my favorite characters. Um, God, it'd be nice if Clarice got more to do in this adaptation. That'd be cool. I Hopefully she does. Um, Annabeth reappears for the first time. Mm-hmm. And she has a theory. She has a theory. Uh, and instead of telling Percy about it, she just shoves him into the nearest body of water, which I do think is pretty funny. <laughs> It's it is very funny. Um, this is a change from both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. In the book, I believe like a hellhound attacked or something. Yeah. Um, and that is when Percy ended up like using his water powers for the first time. Yeah, it's like Percy gets driven into the water during the fight with Clarice, and that's how he wins. And then the hellhound shows up and he kills it with his water powers. Yes. Um, in the movie, similar. But, like, a demon showed up. Probably. Uh, yeah, like, Hades. Oh, it was Hades. Hades showed up. Mm-hmm. Like, personally. Um, in demon form for no reason. Because he's the devil. Because uh, it's just like the devil. He, he's just like the devil. Um, here, this is actually a, a, not a not a more subtle way. It's a pretty glowing, unsubtle way of doing it. Uh-huh. But we don't get it's like it's not how clarice's fight ends he does that himself um 
And, you know, he does that himself with the presence of every other camper who has suddenly arrived. And so Clarice doesn't, doesn't want to see them, doesn't want them to see her like maiming this child. <laughs> awesome delivery from her on saying like, oh, I'll lose my d- dessert privileges for a week. I'll live before yeah. like going after him. <laughs> It's just Annabeth shoves him in the water and he starts to get healed and everyone's like, what the fuck is happening? And then he has the he has the symbol above him. He has the, the trident. I guess this is also maybe this changes a symptom of like changing the emphasis to Percy's on a quest to save his mom. Because like, you know, in the book, the hellhound showing up and attacking him is a like, you know, Poseidon has put a fucking target on your back. You have to do this because otherwise you're going to die. Yeah. So you don't really need that when you got the mom motivation. And then we skip really quickly into the beginning of the of the quest being given. Yes. Uh, in a way that I like, but I think you dislike. Uh, I actually don't mind it so much. And also, this the the scene where they get the quest uh, did get rid of one of my biggest fears with like the Sally being alive stuff. Where I was convinced that the idea was being introduced earlier so that, like, Grover would have to keep it secret for some reason. And then there would be, like, uh, a moment where Percy's like, man, you fucking betrayed me when he finds out later. And I'm glad that they're just not doing that because that would have been really tiresome. Oh, absolutely. That would be annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what, what did you think rubbed me about this the wrong way? I'm curious because I didn't really mind it. I don't know. I guess I was... Are you just assuming that I'm a hater? <laughs> I guess I was like, Jane's vocal micro-expressions indicate that she did not appreciate this. Ah. Um, no, I, I I was making a called shot. That's fair. Um, for entire, I was like, this might be true. There's a 50% chance. I, I would say, given, given my attitude for the rest of this episode, that's fair. Yeah, I don't mind it either. I... I don't think a lot of important stuff happens. We're getting from point A to point B in a, mm. you know, at a decent clip. It's a bit jarring, but I think it's jarring in a way that translates to what Percy is feeling, yeah. right? Or it's just like, oh, you're in this uh, cabin now, away from all the people that you were just trying to be friends with. Oh, time to go on a quest. <laughs> yeah. And the episode pretty much ends there. We've mm-hmm. talked about how that scene is sort of framed, talk about Grover. I think that's basically it. Uh, anything else to say before we sort of sum this up? Uh, I don't think so. What do you think of this? these first two episodes, Jane? Uh, I've been doing a lot of hating, but I think like my, my overall feelings on this is just like, this is fine. This is, yeah. this is a, a pretty good adaptation of a kid's book. I, I would have liked if it could have been a bit more than that, but also I understand that like in the, in the current media landscape, that's maybe quite a lot to ask for. You know what I'm really excited for? What? Jessica Parker Kennedy as Medusa. Yeah. <laughs> I she showed up in the like the next time on and I started screaming and hooting and hollering. Oh, I didn't I didn't watch the next time on. I I did. I she she was in it. I'm excited. Great. I'm pretending to know who Jessica Parker Kennedy is. She's fucking Max. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember now. You absolute gorgon. <laughs> <laughs> you you uh forgetting Max it makes me sad. Um but yeah, no, it was fine. <laughs> it was like okay. Um, I I think it could be really. I it's set up so it could be really good or it could be just fine. I don't think it'll be really bad or anything like that. But yeah, I I think I think part part of it is maybe I was expecting a bit more of it just because it has <clears throat> a couple of names from Black Sales on it and it's about a book that I quite like. Yeah, and I'm like you know they I already watched a, a kind of 
a paratext to a book that I like that some of these people made and I really enjoyed it. That's true. Yeah. So I guess maybe we just have to make do with that one. Uh, or maybe not. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we'll just have to, we'll just have to fucking make do with four fantastic seasons of black sales. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Ugh. but you're saying that the <laughs> Disney plus show about the child demigod, that's all about protecting the heart of the West. Won't be as good as that. <laughs> you know, I am. That's, that's a cold shot that I'm going to make. Yes. Ah, well, maybe so. Anyway, not says hat. Not says hat. Uh, I've got one. Hit me. Sally Jackson, uh, not so directly, but interesting. The way this is insane, but I you're going to agree <laughs> with me. Am I? The framing of the way that she told Percy that his father was a god was played exactly like a coming out scene. Oh, I can see that, actually. The, like, breathless, uh, like, fear, the way that she has to build up to it. She's, like, it's the exact same way someone would deliver, like, I am gay. I'm gay. You know, it's that kind of thing. Like, I dated a god. You know, it's the exact mm-hmm. type of rhythm, uh, and it kind of, like, I was, like, why is this how they're playing it? So you're saying that the G in LGBT stands for God? Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. I don't know. What, what pick do I have? Um, it, is it a crime that we're not going back to our roots and doing a Percy Jackson is trans? <laughs> you know, we, we, have to, we have to evolve the times. We have to make some adaptational decisions as we, as we move into this new form of Lightning Thief. Uh, I'm going to say Dionysus, actually. Okay. Because he just, he seems to just like sit on that patio all day waiting for Chiron to come around so that they can play Pinochle. Yes. Like he doesn't seem to do anything else. So I think, I think he kind of has a thing for Chiron. I think that's true. Uh, they have a great Pinochle scene here that we skipped over, but um, they, mm. them just like playing cards, Chiron taking too long with every turn and mm-hmm. like... Into, like knowing he's gonna lose and using Grover coming in as a way to like stave off having to make a choice is very funny. Yeah, <laughs> I also feel like the the bit of uh, Mister D being like you're gonna have to make a choice soon, Chiron. That feels like it's setting up something. I have no idea what, but it definitely is. That's gonna be some shit about how like he his dad is Kronos, so he like has yeah. to choose between the sides or whatever. Um, mm. maybe there'll be like an arc there where he like goes over to, he's like, do I, should I be a party pony or should I be a, like a, <laughs> one of the wild animal evil centaurs? Uh, I was about to say, I really hope the party ponies aren't in this. And no, actually I'm like, I don't want the, the uncivilized quote unquote ponies to be in this actually. None of them, please. Don't do that. Chiron is the only centaur. All the other ones died. It's fine. Exactly. We've gone on for a while now. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. I'm not fucking crediting that other one that we might have put in. It's it's real. Well, actually, I think we have to credit it. Well, I guess we do. Um, we can put it in the description. He he does NFTs. Fuck him. Fuck him. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We're hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. Uh, we love them. They're great people. Um, Why do you sound like you have a gun to your head? <laughs> I, I i i i deeply care for the moonshot network i can you, can you flip to the next card um i and i i'm i'm safe and saying this of my own free will please wire me one thousand dollars 
please subscribe to the Moonshot Patreon right now to listen to uh, Jacqueline and I on Champs in the Making. That's right. So I just realized I have to edit. Fuck. Fuck. Do that. Do that. Um, I'll do that as soon as we're done. <laughs> um, and you can you can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. And you can, in fact, go subscribe to the Patreon if you like. Um, if you want to support us, though, you can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, co-host, etc. at Unwise Girls. We've got links to our socials, to our Discord server, which you want to join. You do want to join it. I believe you want to join it. I know it. <laughs> um, you can also see updates about when episodes come out. For instance, if you were in our Discord, you would have heard us saying that this episode is going to be out a week later than you thought it was going to be. And that we'd have a guest, which then didn't happen. Yeah, uh, you would hear... For more misinformation, join our Discord. You would hear about Aiken for some reason. Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't know why that conversation was happening. Um, You uh, also... Bryce Papenbrook, I think. uh, Right, right, of course. Uh, You also can support us by leaving five stars on your podcast of choice, rating and review. You can tell a friend about us, and you can support us monetarily with a little bit of cash um, go, cash amoli uh, by going to <laughs> patreon.com slash girls where for a dollar a month you can get the discord rule of should we just keep doing the Max Chase ones or what's up I guess it's it's only four weeks but should we switch them back to some Percy Jackson themed ones let me see if I remember them yeah for one dollar a month you get the discord rule of camp counselor for three dollars a month you get the discord rule of friend of dionysus who is you know a funny a funny tv actor now so you want to be friends with him as well as all of our <laughs> bonus content although he will make you get him a beer uh we were talking about uh, bryce paperbrook and by extension icon in the discord server because uh we are almost at the end of season one of mobile suit gundam iron blooded orphans over on our uh uh, bonus show so if you've enjoyed listening to us uh talking about tv this week uh you can get more of that plus our coverage of uh uh steinberg's uh previous show black sales uh, is all on there if you're interested in like comparing between this which you should be and for five dollars a month you get the discord rule of aphrodite's chosen all of our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of every episode speaking of which this week we'd like to thank uh mint i love sammy's great Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. 